Thank you, John. I'm going to try to speak up, and if it's uh, if you ever just can't hear me, just put up a hand. Rex, your sound control, okay? You just hand if you say not not loud enough. Sometimes I mumble or uh, so. Um, John is. I really appreciate John Musgrave at the uh, the High Ministry Network. A group of us have. He's invested a lot of time and energy into us, and it's been. Uh, it, it's been a great growth process for us uh, personally and for our churches, and um, so it's, it's been a real good journey. I really appreciate the opportunity. We've had a, and a lot of laughs along the way, <laughs> a lot of laughs along the way. So um, here we are. Uh, this session, again, is called Right Church, Wrong Pew, and this session is about alignment. How many of you, uh, let me see a show of hands, how many of you are, are senior pastors or lead pastors, just so I understand who's in the room, okay? How about staff pastors or, or staff directors, pastors, okay? Very good. How about uh, lay volunteers, you know, ushers, nursery workers, okay, good, super. That, there's a pretty even mix. This, um, this, cl- this session is going to be mostly about aligning. Aligning, uh, how do you get your people around you lined up? Maybe if you're in any type of leadership position, you'll have that opportunity to do that. And honestly, it's a, it's a responsibility, actually, to line up. You'll accomplish far more when your people are all working in the right direction, uh, opposed to everybody kind of heading off in their own area. You know? So uh, we'll have, um, I'll give you plenty of examples, and I'll give you some resources as we go. So let me, anybody from Michigan, just by chance, because Michigan's just fun to pick on? Okay, really? Nobody from Michigan? Whew, good, finally. Yeah, the last session, there's always one. I'm in Michigan, you know, you know, OH, you know, and so it's just, they never think that's funny. But um, so here we go. I'm going to give you an absolutely inappropriate uh, illustration as we get started. So hopefully, okay, just take it uh, for what it's worth. Here we go. So uh, here we go. Driving sober versus drunk driving. Okay, and we're going to look and we're talking about alignment. And you see the first lane, the people are driving sober, and they're just headed right down the lane. They're going right down the center, and they're keeping to themselves. But, but then you see, obviously, what a drunk driver does, and they're swerving. And so that is the best way to be picked up by the police. So, Al, you know, you and Youngster, you need to know this. You know, just don't do this, and, and you'll be okay. So here we go. And then now if... <laughs> yeah, that is... They will, they will, yeah, they will find you. Now, now here we go. Driving drunk in Michigan. See, now look at the difference. Driving sober, and this time of year we have potholes all over the place, and you probably have a road just like this near you, like I do, and so you're swerving the potholes. You're swerving around. But oh, oh, but look at our drunk driver from Michigan. See, now they're just chucking straight on down, potholes or not, headed right on through. And I have a 15-year-old who just has his temps, and he is a by-the-book kind of a guy. And so he and I are driving, and I'm warning him, look, when you take a right turn, watch, there's a big car is going to get lost in this thing, so swerve. But, Dad, i got to go over into the other lane. It's like, there are no cars. Go in the other lane because our car is going to break in half. Dad, I'm not allowed to not allowed to do that, Dad. You know, I'm going to send you the bill, kid. And so... I'm teaching him the art of maneuvering around the potholes, you know, but when you're a drunk driver in Michigan, you just chuck right on through. And, and the reality is, we're talking about alignment. What, what's the objective of the sober driver? What is the sober driver's objective here with the potholes? Try to miss the potholes. Yeah, just avoid these things. My, myself, my kid, you know, avoid the potholes. Even at the expense of oncoming traffic, don't hit the potholes, all right? 
And so, what's the objective of the drunk driver? What's his objective? He wants to stay on the road. He wants to get, just get where he wants to go. But he, he, of course, is hoping to appear like a sober driver. Because he doesn't want to get picked up by the cops. You know? so, so let me ask you this. Which of these drivers are in alignment? Which of the, not the car, but the, the driver. Which of these drivers are in alignment with their mission, with their purpose, and what it is that they're trying to accomplish? Kind of a trick question. What's that? The one driving sober? Okay. Any others? Which one? They both? Who says both? Dare to stick up your hand? I say both, man. I'm with you. Because they're both accomplishing what it is that they want to accomplish. This guy really doesn't have a clue, but he's trying to look sober, so he's just trying to keep a straight line, keep a straight line. This guy is, I don't want to fall into these things and get the, get the bill for it afterward. And the reality is, you have to identify what it is that you're trying to accomplish. What, did it, what, is your, what are your priorities? Leading that area, leading that ministry. Whether you are full-time leading some ministry, or you are volunteer help one or two hours a month, what is, what is it that you're trying to accomplish here? Alignment. Putting the right people in the right places and moving in the appropriate direction. There's now one direction. You have, to, you have to decide what that direction is, and we'll cover that a little later. Definition of alignment. The act of aligning or the state of being aligned. Seriously. Don't you hate it when Webster does that? Really? Seriously? Come on, is that a joke? Thanks a lot, Miriam. Thanks for nothing, you know? <laughs> That's the best you could... You know, I should come up with my own dictionary. Well, the, 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 the punch is in the second half. The proper positioning or state of adjustment of parts in relation to each other. Okay, so now we get some traction on that. Now we're putting pieces together and moving, moving this thing forward. Your boat, your church, whatever it is you're rowing, whatever it is you're working on. What is it you're trying to accomplish? And so, the priority has to be identified by your team and pieced. What is the goal? What is it we're trying to reach so that you can all reach at the same time? This session is not about attracting certain people to our pews or our churches. This session is about putting the right people in the right place. You might have to move them from this ministry to that ministry. You find their gifts and abilities. They may come to you and say, Pastor, or you know, so and so. I just, I hate this. I hate doing this. You know, I love you, but I just don't like this. Try to find the areas where they're gifted, and then prioritizing and communicating your direction as a leader. Say, well, look, this is where we're headed as a group of us together. There was a point at our church before uh, I became the pastor. I was on staff. I was the youth pastor there. Uh, I pastored at our church for 14 years, and I was the youth pastor there for 10 years prior. And then I was a youth sponsor and a Sunday school teacher, so I'd been at this church for a long time. But there was a point where our church was about 800 people, and we had dipped all the way down to 300 people in the course of about 15 years. The really, the really scary part was nobody was asking why. Nobody, was, nobody seemed bothered by it. As long as we wear the same clothes, as long as we, as long as we sing our favorite songs, we're just, we're just chucking a straight line right down the lane, you know, not worried about the potholes, 
you know, we just hit a pothole of assimilation. Bam! Who cares? This is what we've always done. Just keep on going. You know, we run right into a, a chuck hole of outreach and mission. Pow! Nobody cares. Just keep on, keep on trucking. But when the lay of the land changes, you know, that same piece of road near my house in the summertime is smooth, pleasant, easy driving. Great. No problem at all. But, you know, after a good snowfall, first bonehead with a shovel on his, you know, goes clears and asphalt goes flying. He's got big holes in the road. The lay of the land has just changed. And now as a leader of my organization, I have to adapt to those changes and say, guys, I know we usually keep a straight line, but now we have a different. We're going to get to where we're going, but now we've got to turn left and turn right a little bit, and we have to get to where we're going so that we get there productively in a, in a healthy way. And so we were oblivious to our surroundings. We just kept chucking along because that's what we always did. Fooey on visitors. They need to look like us. They need to smell like us. They need to sing our songs. They need to become like us. And visitors stopped visiting. And the church was going like this. And so we had to start asking these questions, what's happening? So reassessing your goals and priorities allows you and your team to connect together and work in alignment. Are we still headed in the same direction? Here's a great resource. Author Jim Collins. <coughs> Jim Collins wrote a book some time ago, uh, very well read. It's called uh, Good to Great. It is a business book. It's not a theology book. But he talks about the businesses over the years that made the changes when the world changed around them, surroundings changed. They made those changes and they navigated from a good company to a great company. And then he talks about the other companies that were good, solid companies. They just kept chucking right on down through the potholes and they eventually fell apart and they disappeared and we don't, we don't see much of them anymore. Jim Collins says this. He says, you're a bus driver. The bus, your company, is at a standstill, and it's your job to get it going. You have to decide where you're going and how you're going to get there and who's going with you. In fact, leaders of companies that go from good to great start, start not with where, but with who. In a couple of minutes, I'll explain some of that. Not with where we're going, but who we're going there with. They start by getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, and the right people in the right seats. And they stick with that discipline. First the people, then the direction. Next slide. I have to blame that. Next slide, John. Come on here. I got the clicker. It's my fault. Clearly my fault. Uh, you know, <laughs> I actually thought about doing it for about a half an hour. Next slide, please. Next slide. Thank you. Okay. Like I'm just blaming the guy in the back. You know, next slide. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, uh, first the people, then the direction, no matter how dire the circumstances. Maxwell told his management team that there would only be seats on the bus for A-level people who were willing to put out A-plus effort. He interviewed every member of the team. He told them all the same thing. It was going to be a tough ride. It was going to be a demanding trip. And if they didn't want to go, that's fine. Just say so. Now is the time to get off the bus. No questions asked. No recriminations. In all, he had 14 of 26 executives get off the bus. Now, that's a lot. Think about losing half your, leader, half your staff. Okay? I've had a couple that have left over the years. One of them flat out, well, he wanted to be a senior pastor, and I, be, I took the job that he wanted, so he left gracefully, no problems. Uh, over the years, I had, um, well, I, can, I think I told this story in the last session. We had um, 
we had a sound man that was at our church for 25 years. Okay? Any sound man stories you have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, don't you? Um, you know, the reality was, and during, before my last session, a couple of his pastors were talking, and I was, they, were, they were setting me up with the equipment, and, and we said, who gets the mic, and who, you know, who gets and we were trying to figure out who gets the mic. And, and the sound guy, he goes, yeah, he goes uh, you know, Dan's back there, he's a good guy, he goes, I think he's just going to turn it on. And then we started talking, oh, don't you love it when the sound man doesn't turn on? You do like 10 words into your sentence, and it finally clicks on. And, he, and, and the one guy talked, he actually started to get, the pastor started to get, like, upset. Just the three, of, a couple of us, they were talking about it. He's getting upset. How come my sound man doesn't, tu-? you know, rightly so? And I said, we had a guy that used to do that. And we would, I would lay out, this is where we're going. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to accomplish. I need you to turn the sound on. When they pick up that mic, they need to hear every word. When the worship leader gets up, turn the sound on. I mean, over and over and over again. And it would not happen. I had a guest speaker that told me, Mark, when you, when you introduce me, I want to use the same mic that you're going to introduce me with. I said, why? He's a good friend of mine. I said, why? He said, that way I know by the time I start talking, the mic will be on. <laughs> now, come on, that's a, that's a, that is a jab. And he doesn't say that to every church. He was talking about my sound guys. We did handouts and flyers and objectives over and over. So finally, one Sunday night, it's back when we used to have Sunday night church. One Sunday night, worship leader gets up, and you hear, so let's stand to our feet. And, and I'm like, he didn't have the sound on. And I look back, what's he doing back there? Church ended, amen. Thank you, Jesus. God help this guy, because he's going to need, you know. So go back in there, grab the worship director, come on. And I said, what's going on? What's going on? And back and forth, little banter, blah, 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 blah. And he finally looked at me and said, I don't see what the big deal is. And that let me know, this is the wrong guy on this bus. This sound man doesn't even see it as a problem that people are talking and the word, the mic doesn't come on for the five or ten words. It's not a big deal to him. Blah, blah, blah. We talked back and forth. He handed me his key and he walked out. Now, good or bad? Problem was, he was also married to the, lead, the lady who leads the nursery for 25 years. She went with the sound man. But you know what? She ran that area just the same. Now, our sound team, our nursery team, and they both were very hard workers. Very hard workers. But we just weren't maneuvering around the potholes that we needed to. The worship bands that we have come and go right now Our old guys could never have done this because they want to just keep on trucking down the same lane that they've always driven down for year after year. And it's not the same anymore. The things that we can accomplish in those two areas. So, any of the pastors in the room are saying, yeah, how did the next board meeting go? Right? That's what I was thinking. So I'm thinking to myself, I wonder how the next board meeting is going to go. So I walked in, sat down, we talked, we got started, and I said, hey guys, let's talk about, you know, so-and-so leaving. One of them spoke up. He said, Pastor, let me tell you something. This has been a problem long before you ever got here, and we don't know why it took this long for someone to finally do something about it. They thanked me for it, and we went on. And both of those ministries now, a couple years later, are flourishing, thriving, doing well. But your role is, as the leader, 
navigate, navigate those changes. Navigate that lane. Do not be afraid to make... No name-calling. Don't get nasty. Don't get smart. He may have not liked what I had to say, but, you know, I called some stuff out. But at the end of the road, this is where we're going, and I had the wrong guy on my bus. 14 out of 26 executives got off the bus. They were replaced by some of the best, smartest, and hardest-working executives in the world of finance. Get the right people on the bus. Collins says, who? Who is on your team? In other words, who is able to make this journey with me? I want to be careful, and I may say this again a little later. I'm not talking, it's impossible to say, I want to get all these big guns of ministry together, and then we're going to figure out, well, what are we going to do? I don't know, let's let's be a revival church, or let's be a worship church, or let's be an outreach. Let's have the biggest food ministry. of. That's not what he's talking about. He's referring to people that are able to make changes and work with you because the world is going to change. If you have people with bad attitudes or if you have people that are just doing what they've always done, that's going to hurt you. Now, there's a lot of time and training and and lovingly coerce and guide and lead. But if you just finally hear that person say, look, I don't see what the big deal is, Pastor, then you know, okay, I've I've got somebody on my bus that shouldn't be here. Uh, who do you have making adjustments? Who are the people around you that are willing to change? First you ask the who. After the who, then you ask the what. What is it we need to accomplish here? What is it that we're going to try to accomplish? And then you know the people with the who, they're going to follow you. Now this is where we get, like I said, this is where we get some of the, pu- the, the uh, little pushback. Um, are you able to think right now, Are you able to think of one who on your leadership team? One who on your leadership team that simply shouldn't be there? What's that? Yeah, he used to like me. Yeah. For those of you uh, listening to the recording, Carlos just said he used to like me. That is a tough reality to deal with. That is a difficult place to, to be. But the reality is God placed you as, the, as the, the operator of that bus. And if that thing is not moving, you can't pull an atom and say, ah, the uh, woman you gave me down here, no, no that's never going to fly. No, you're in charge of that bus. You are in charge. And so you have to decide who is going to take this trip with you. And if there's a problem, you will have to deal with it. But you know what happens. The reality is, you know, your brother-in-law got burned out on the mission field and you felt sorry for him, so you hired him on to be your associate pastor of visitation and CE, Christian education, and now it's not going so hot, and now you don't know what to do with your family member that's on your staff, because if you fire him, the two families are going to feud. And you know what holidays are going to be like for the next 20 years, right? So you've got some of these oddities to work with, but in the meantime, God wants to know, okay, but you're driving this bus. What are you doing with this thing? Now what do you do? So, it's tough. It's tough. These are... And yes, I have, I have been through those. Some of them have been... I had, I had one. Um, he had been with me for a while, and, and we had to change some of his... Well, I just needed him to do some of his... I needed him to do his job, <laughs> I guess. Let's just put it that way. And, and he looked at me after about a year. 
And he said, look, I'm stepping down from this role. I, I can't do this. He said, everything you're asking me to do is fair. You're, you've been very fair about it. You're not asking me to do, you're not asking me to go sweep the parking lot when, you know, no, no, no. He said, everything you're asking me is fair. He said, the problem is, I just don't want to do this. You know, can I stay at the church? Can I still keep volunteering in this area? Yeah, sure, sure. But I just don't want to do this anymore. Peace be with you. Door opens up. Someone exits the bus. Okay. Um, Collins gives us a little more explanation. Three key components if you want to write these down. Next slide. Uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to getting started, good to great leaders understand three simple truths. First, if you begin with who... You can more easily adapt to a fast-changing world. So you need people that are with you, that are willing, that are willing to follow you and, and, and change and, and make, those, you know, make those adaptations with you. If people get on your bus because of where they think it's going, you'll be in trouble when you get 10 miles down the road and discover that you need to change direction because the world has changed. But if people board the bus princely because of all the other great people on the bus, you'll be much faster and smarter in responding to changing conditions. Second, if you, have, if you have the right people on your bus, you don't need to worry about motivating them. The right people are self-motivated. Nothing beats being part of a team that is expected to produce great results. Now look, I got a guy that oversees my vans. His name is Dan. We call him Dan the Man. And in honor of Dr. Seuss, Dan the Man takes care of the vans. Okay, I, But it works. The guy loves his van ministry. He loves this. And sometimes I'm in my office or doing something. You know, we've had like 18 feet of snow outside. I look out middle of February. I see Dan out there getting the vans all cleared off and gassed up because the Rangers are going to use them three days from now. He's getting them just to make sure nothing's wrong and making sure the windshield wipers work warm. I swear, I looked out the window and the guy was brushing snow off the van. He's saying, it's okay, sweetie. Spring is coming. Spring is coming. We're going to get there. We're going to... I'm watching. Like he's, he's talking to the van. He's cur- he, he takes his job very seriously. I'm telling you, I don't have to motivate Dan to get the Rangers, to get the vans ready for the Royal Ranger ministry. You know, Dan... Dan motivates me. I watch that out my window. He's in the snow. I'm sitting there thinking, I am a slob. God forgive me. I am a poor, pathetic excuse of a pastor. It motivates me to do my absolute best because, and that's what people around you, not the guy that doesn't push the button on the soundboard. Makes me want to cuss every time I walk into a Sunday service. But it's the guy out there that takes his job to the next level. Thirdly, if you have the wrong person on the bus, nothing else matters. If you have the wrong person on the bus, nothing else matters. You may be headed in the right direction, but you still won't achieve greatness. Great vision with mediocre people still produces mediocre results. Now, I want to pause for a minute because Jim Collins is coming from a very secular business view. You know, we are, we, are theolo- we are theologians. And we know when we read through Scripture, God has done amazing things through one mediocre person after another. Okay? So, 
Jim Collins is talking the world of business and finance. We're talking about shepherds and kings and average guys stuck in jail and people just wanting to serve Jesus. And and the Lord God God does amazing things. So you know, from our perspective in the ministry, let's stay instead of mediocre people, let's refer to people with mediocre attitudes. Maybe you got a bad you got people with you that have just a a bad attitude or maybe they're they're entrenched in tradition or maybe they're lazy or you know they may not even be saved. And you might have to just go to that board member and say, look, man, you need Jesus. You, know, you have to decide. But, you know, so we're talking about people with mediocre, less than desirable attitudes. Look, it, it's, it's just like when Moses is in the wilderness and Korah led the rebellion against him. And you saw what happened to him. I mean, God got Korah off Moses' bus really fast in the biggest pothole that the Bible describes and sucked him right down. And boy, did that feel good. You know, so, you know, God, you know, God doesn't want that kind of an attitude on your bus either. And so you don't have to tolerate that. But um, so we're not we're not talking about, you know, average people. We're talking about less than desirable attitudes here. So you tell me. Oh, and, and let me throw this in too. another great resource. Henry Cloud is a phenomenal author, speaker. He gave, uh, he gave one quick illustration where, and I don't have this in the slides, but he said, before I hire anybody, I, look at, I, I ask myself about the three C's. I ask myself three C's. One, what is this person connected to? Or who are they connected to? And you find out their references, or you look them up on Facebook, or you know, just who are their friends? What school did they come from? Who are they connected to? You know. Um, I look at their connection. Secondly, Dr. Cloud said, I look at their competence. Are, are, they, are they smart enough for this job? Now, let me also throw this in. You know, sometimes we're not always, you know, you don't have to be overly smart to be in the ministry. I think there's something we call IQ, intelligence quotient. There's something else called EQ, emotional quotient and i don't think we give emotional i don't think we give eq enough time and attention in people's lives because you don't have to be overly smart but you have to have very strong emotional stability in the ministry right we know that you're going to get punched and beat up and and then they're going to you know serve jesus the next day and you're like you're not even a christian but you know and so you know you have to deal with that you know, I'm preaching, and I'm like, you don't even tithe, and you lied last week, you know, and I'm like, but Jesus loves all, you know, something in this, you know. You got you to have like what we call big shoulders, so there's, there's kind of that competence level. Are you competent? Intel, IQ and EQ, you competent for this role. And then thirdly, Dr. Cloud says character. Connection, competence, and character. The person has to have good, solid character. And he adds, if you don't have the third one, the first two don't even count. Okay, so think about those three when you you, you uh, question who's on my boat. I got to get these people around me so we're aligned and we're moving in the right direction. Okay, so you tell me. A study was done. <clears throat> what is the role of the pastor? They questioned. Uh, they they polled a thousand churches. They questioned a thousand pastors. What's the role of the pastor? Ninety-one percent of the pastors said to win the lost and make disciples. Okay? 91%. Then they went to the people of those churches and those congregations. What's the role of the pastor? 
Carlos, your smile, man, it's just, just bottle that. It's just impeccable. You know it's coming. 89% of the people said the role of the pastor is to take care of me and my family. You got 89% of the people going this way. You got 91% of the pastors trying to lead this way. Can you say misalignment? <laughs> yeah. You can, you can feel the misalignment. First time I heard this, stu- this study, I mean, I got like nauseous. I'm like, oh, that's just uncomfortable. Conflict, you know. And when there's conflict, you are not aligned. You are not moving in the, right, in the, in the same direction. So I've seen this different ways. I'm going to, uh, we get done at what time? 1.45. Okay, I'm going to try to wrap this up. Go quick. We'll give a couple minutes for questions if, if that is available. Leaders, you must know where the Lord is taking you. That is not a trick question to God. He will not smite you for asking thus. You're allowed to ask, Lord, what is it you expect of this ministry? You know, um, some 14 years ago, I, I remember I was in the, the sanctuary, I was praying, I was moving, and I found a pamphlet, and it was one of our pamphlets, we printed it, and I saw this little slogan on there, ministering to the entire family to equip the entire family to minister. I thought, I like this. I didn't know anything about vision, didn't know anything about core values, mission state, nothing. It was like, that was like, like world, those were worldly terms. I was too spiritual for that. And so I just, but the, the, it just kept mulling in my mind. I like this. I like this phrase. I asked my staff, where'd this come from? It was like, I don't know. You didn't think of it? No, I thought you were the smart one. No, no, and nobody knew where this thing came from, but I loved it and it wouldn't go away. And I started thinking, this works for us. Because we are a family church. We want to equip families. It's, it was biblical. You know, it's about equipping the saints out of Ephesians. And it was very realistic. It was doable for us. We, uh, we didn't favor just, you know, the 20-somethings and we ignore the senior saints. Or, or vice versa. We hold on to traditions and fooey on the new people. It was, I mean, it worked for us. You know, we are a family church. So we hung on to this. We made this. But I grew up in a church environment that did not recognize this word. It was vision. It was a, a worldly concept. And um, it took me a while to come around to it. But as I started to see and understand, I realized this is exactly what Moses had to deal with. Moses had to communicate to the people, hey guys, this is where we're going. Our goal isn't just to go wander the desert. Our goal is a land flowing with milk and honey. Man, can you feel it? Can you taste it? Can you imagine Starbucks on every corner? Oh, Sing his praise. You know, can can you imagine? Kids, safe bus stops. Our 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 vines, our crops are gonna grow and the cattle are gonna produce, land flowing with milk and honey. And so he's painting this picture, this realistic picture. Same thing, pastors, what's your church gonna look like? What does God want your church to look like ten years from now? Five years from now? Any head ushers in the room? What do you want your ushers to look like six months from now? Doing, accomplishing, what do you see? If you're in charge of that nursery ministry or the craft room ministry, what do you, what do you see, inside joke, what do you, what do you see that nursery looking like? And what, what's the sound and the smell? Hopefully it's better than the smell now. And, you know, what, it, what is that going to look like? You, you're allowed to dream. God's allowed to give you and, and guide you in that vision. Secondly, there's a word we call mission. So Moses says, well... We're going to get to the land flowing milk and honey. We've got to get out of this place. We're in Egypt. 
We're in slavery. We're in bondage. And we can't get there until we get out of here. So sometimes organizations may lump these two together. Okay, you, you'll have to decide that. But if you want to get really specific, you can break these down. So we have to, to get there, we have to get out of here. What's our mission? How's this going to work? Um, you know, at one point, they got wandered in the desert, and they, the Israelites started saying, oh, we should have stayed back where we had leeks and melons. You know? You remember, you remember that phrase? Like, what is a leek anyway? I like milk and honey. I can't say that I like leeks. You know, I, but apparently they were really into those. You know, but Moses say, no, 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 don't look back. Keep looking forward. Keep your eyes forward. Let's keep moving in the mission. Then you have something called strategy. What are your first steps to put motion to your mission? The business world calls these action steps. Okay, what are your action steps to make your mission start? What's your strategy? What is that? What you going to do, Moses? What you going to do? Well, uh, you can hear Charlton Heston say this. Uh, I guess I need to go talk to Pharaoh. It's my action step. Tomorrow. Uh, no, no, no. I'll, you know, Moses, or Pharaoh, let my people go. There. Now what? Um, then you come to something called tactics. Now watch what happens here. Between tactics and strategy, this is the place, this is the point where most churches or organizations get stuck. You can't get to the strategy because the tactics are always keeping you busy and preoccupied. You're always putting out a wildfire. And Moses said, God, uh, got kind of a weird thing going on here. Me and my inability, my weak speech, my speech impediment, I'm just not real good at it. So I'm thinking I'm I'm not going to go talk to Pharaoh. And God says, no, 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 you're still going to go. Take Aaron with you. Ministry leader, You have to believe God does not ever want you to get stuck in any problem, any any wildfire you're dealing with. You have to believe God wants you to be able to move on to the next step to make that ministry, to make that area something that's viable and productive. Okay, That's the beauty of what God does for us. So it might be the board member that takes up way too much of your time. Maybe that bitter prophetess that is always challenging everything you preach. And you get there Monday morning, there's the email, and you're spending an hour and a half or two hours trying to defend your position and looking at Bible verses. Enough. Enough. The insecure staff pastor who doesn't feel good about himself for those endless hospital visits. Well, i got to visit this one. i really got to take this one. I should take this. Yeah, you got to take all of them. Stop it. And you're so busy at the tactical area, you can't get onto the stuff that's the real game-changing strategy of that ministry. And then we have something that's called the function. It's kind of the last, lowest common denominator. These are the base-level day-to-day activities that must be done. And, and, look, you, somebody's got to pay the bills at the church. You've got to clean the building. You have to pull weeds. You have to paint the rooms. You have to take care of this stuff. But you know, Moses was instructed, God said, I want you to put blood over the doorpost. Did Moses himself have to do that? No. We don't even know who did it. There are no names. They don't have a list of names. Somebody had to cook and prepare that lamb, that Passover lamb. Somebody had to do it. 
Uh, we don't know who it was, but these are the countless jobs and specific details of the day that have to get done. So I'm going to wrap this up. Pastor, leader, listen, volunteers, you, you volunteers, you are so valuable. Your church, you are the breath of that church ministry. The sooner you identify these areas of ministry, the sooner you can move forward. And the God's, I mean, I'm sorry, does God want you to be stuck in Egypt? Or does God want you to move forward and grow and develop that area? And the sooner your people are all on board, you can move in alignment and move together. I'll give you just one more resource. This is uh, it's just a book. It's from um, Patrick Lencioni. Two good books, actually. Patrick Lencioni. Again, these, are, these aren't theological books. These are just business. Uh, really very practical. One, uh, along with uh, this topic, I want to say, is called Silos, Turf Wars, Silos, Politics, and Turf Wars. Silos. The Royal Rangers think they are the most important ministry at the church. Yeah, but the choir thinks they are the most important ministry at the church. You know, the lady that runs the blood drive thinks the blood is the most important ministry at the... Everybody thinks... The, and so your role as a leader is to get these people all moving in the same direction. Okay? The other book Patrick Lencioni wrote is... Uh, it's called Overcoming the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Overcoming the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, and then don't just read the book. It's only about 180-some pages long. But take the test in the back. Have your team take the test. My team, they didn't want me to do it. They're like, no, no, I, you know, we feel weird doing this. Yeah, I know. You know why? Because they were stuck here, and they didn't move here. And since we took the test, I said, I, um, I'm not going to reprimand anybody. Be totally honest. Don't put your name on it. Give me good, honest feedback. We are definitely, we moved out of this area here. And these guys... These guys move and operate like they own the church. They're a blessing because we got on to the strategy side of things. Okay, we have a few minutes left. A um, couple minutes. Any, any questions? Anything budding, burning, or do you want to just get an extra long bathroom break? It's up to you. Yes, sir. At least one question. I'm sorry. The difference? Sure. Yes, uh, we do. And I hear people say, well, they're just a volunteer. Stop referring to them as volunteers and start referring to them as ministers. Because everything your hand finds to do, do it as unto. Yeah. And so... I mean, there are some expectations. Yeah, Al, you, you've been at this a long time. You know, you know, the people that you're paying, you do have higher expectations. You require more time out of them. But, you know, you've got to remind, sometimes you'll have to remind people, look, this is a ministry. You're not doing this just for me. This is for the Lord. How's your heart? Okay? I was just going to ask, what, what was some of the feedback you got when you started implementing these changes? Um, by and large, it was very well, it was welcomed. If you're going to lead through, navigate through some of these changes, you'll have to know the dynamic of your church. Our church is a very slow-moving church. They don't like change fast. So it's been a slow process for us, but it's exciting to watch some of these things take place. 
Uh, by and large, my staff was on. I, I, the right, the wrong people got off the bus. And one I had to release, one stepped off by himself. The board has always been in favor. They love this. Right now, the board is actually probably 10 feet ahead of me. They're going like, come on. They want, they want the change of some of these areas. They're ahead of me. And it's, it's refreshing to watch. Yeah, so it, oftentimes getting the ball rolling is that, that tough part, the momentum area. Carlos? In the same vein, you kind of answered that, but vision, mission, and strategy, you almost get everybody saying yes and amen, Pastor, but then when, when I begin to check the tactics and the functions, yeah. then I begin <laughs> to step on the so Man. So maybe, are, are there some, uh, maybe some examples, some tools that you use to help them see how dysfunctional the tactics and functions are? Over communicate again and again. You want to keep repeating the vision, keep repeating, keep leading, keep guiding. Um, I remember spelling some of this out at a, a volunteer banquet just to say thank. We took him out to a nice restaurant, I don't know, a couple hundred people, paid the bill, whole thing, and talked about change. And the one lady in the back was nodding, "Yes, we need change, we need change." Until I touched her area, and you'd thought the the hounds of Hades were released. Man, you know, so over-communicating, over-communicate. About the time you get sick of hearing it, keep on going. Keep on going. Ask yourself, what, what time, energy, resources, money are you putting into these new changes? And equip your people. Don't ask them to do anything that you're not going to give them the tools and equipment to do to accomplish those tasks. So once they know that you care and you're going with them in this, and you, of course, are going to have to take these changes before anybody else. They're going to have to see you going through so they believe in, in where it is that you're taking them and where you're going. Okay, I know these are really quick questions to some really big, uh, qu- fast uh, answers to some really big questions you have. Okay? All right, we are out of time. We're done. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here.